Good evening, folks, and welcome back now on this Saturday, the 7th day of October 2022. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and as you might have guessed, let's start off our look back at the week that was with the good, the bad, and the ugly. First, the good news, and that is we're still here. So far, at least, nobody has nuked the United States, in spite of the fact that the swamp critters trying to destroy it have been working awful hard to make that happen, which leads us to the bad news. Whoever it was that blew up the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines and sentenced most of Europe to economic and physical freezing and death probably deserves being nuked. Because no doubt about it, folks, that was an overt, outright act of war. And finally, the really ugly, pretty much the rest of the world has figured out who that is. And if we still had any doubt, the blithering idiot masquerading as Secretary of State pretty well removed all of that over the weekend, where he basically confirmed the words of the Biden Fuhrer himself long before the pipelines were actually blown up, when he basically said, oh yeah, we have the technology and we intend to do it. If if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine. Yeah, check. Again, then... Uh, there will be uh, we there will be no longer a Nord Stream two. We we will bring an end to it. I promise you, we'll be able to do it. And for once, he was actually telling the truth. So what came out last weekend? Well, as Zero Hedge and Tyler Durden put it, just when speculation and an avalanche of theories, not to mention a whole lot of evidence pointing inexorably in the same direction, have inundated the web, the Biden regime came out bluntly and apparently they note with a total lack of self-awareness and boasted that the pipeline bombings present at least them with, quote, an opportunity. As a matter of fact, a tremendous opportunity to greatly reduce European energy imports from, <laughs> where else, Russia. After saying up front, well, it's important to note that these pipelines were shut down anyway, and then saying, ultimately, this is a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous opportunity, I guess he said it twice, to once and for all remove the dependence on Russian energy, and thus to take away from Vladimir Putin the weaponization of energy. No, that's our job, folks, as a means of advancing his, as opposed to our imperial designs. He also noted that the United States has now become, quote, the leading supplier of LNG, or liquefied natural gas, to Europe, stressing that the regime is helping to enable European leaders to decrease their demand. Oh, yeah, and they're doing it real fast so that, whether they like it or not, they can, quote, speed up the transition to renewables. Good grief. And tellingly, notes Zero Hedge, the blinking idiot repeated the word opportunity while chortling about the European energy crisis no less than three times. Just in case the dimmer bulbs in Northern Europe didn't get the message. We did it to them, we can do it to you. Who's your daddy? And this would actually be funny if they weren't telegraphing just how stupid they think most of the world really is, especially those that listen to CNN and MSNBC. Canadian Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie at a panel discussion told an Atlantic Council conference that the world is, quote, not naive about who's responsible for the act of sabotage. He asked him knowingly. Photography? Yeah. Snap, snap, green, green, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Holiday stamps. Could be. Nudge, nudge. Well, at least Communist China and their state-affiliated media weren't fooled, taking the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines as a, quote, tremendous opportunity, wrote one of their commentators, is such an undisguised comment, isn't it? Isn't Mr. Blinken worried that his remarks will make the world believe that whoever benefits did it? (laughs) You'd have to say, unless you work for CNN or MSNBC or the Biden regime, but I guess I repeat myself, that would be beyond obvious now, wouldn't it? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. 
We'll follow that up with another story that was arguably inevitable. Vladimir Putin has come right out and said what everybody in the world who is paying attention knows. As J.D. Hayes writes for Natural News, Putin has made it crystal clear that he blames the United States, arguably correctly, for sabotaging the Nord Stream 1 and 2 natural gas pipelines last week after the videos surfaced. Well, they didn't have to surface very far. Of scumbags like Joe Biden and other U.S. officials, Victoria Newland comes to mind, threatening to take them out anyway after Russia took the bait and invaded Ukraine. Putin made his remarks late last week, they say, in the wake of the unprecedented attack on yet another vital infrastructure for the world, which could, say critics, <laughs> hasten the, uh, I'm going to put it this way, folks, escalation, not arrival, of World War III. Said Putin, they're destroying European energy infrastructure, and it's clear who benefits. It's obvious to everyone who did it. The Russian president also addressed the upcoming really nasty-looking winter, shaping up to be especially brutal for Europeans after the latest attack on what's left of their infrastructure. They print money, he said, but you cannot warm your homes with this printed money. They have to convince their citizens to shower less, eat less, and put on warm clothes, he said. The Western elites, it's a crisis due to their own fault, he noted, adding that the goal of what he called the hybrid war in Ukraine is to break Russia at any cost. And more and more, Putin's been coming out and saying what a lot of people who've ever read scripture seem to understand. Quote, the dictatorship of the Western elite is directed against all societies, including against the peoples of these Western countries themselves. It's a challenge for all. This means the total negation of the human, the overthrow of religion and traditional values, as the crushing of freedom becomes to look like the opposite of religion. Open Satanism, he said. Continuing his theme of rejecting the ridiculous attempts by the leftists in the West to impose their LGBTQZ++ gender ideology, which he appropriately deems a threat to Russian society. As one observer noted, I've watched a lot of Putin speeches over the last 10 to 15 years, and this is the most anti-U.S. one by a really long ways. When it comes to Western dictators who are really pulling out the stops to destroy Western society, from the foundations on up, it's tough to beat the supreme fear of the Communist Chinese Party-controlled left coast. You know who I'm talking about, and you know which state, I'm sure. So from LifeSite News, and also J.D. Hayes and Natural News as well, referring to the new death capital of the country, the People's Republic of Totalitarian California, it's gruesome newsome, Governor Gavin himself, who has now signed a total of 13 bills codifying and greatly expanding abortions and their war on anybody under the age of about, well, 104, but especially the younger the better. The bills will allocate, said LifeSite News, over 200 million bucks in new abortion funding. They'll greenlight recruitment of abortionists to broaden availability and no doubt following in the Chinese communist footsteps, eventually mandated, and ensure that almost no abortion will be prosecuted under What's left of the law, said LifeSite News, after Newsom practically strained his wrist, signing his name so many times over and over again. Hey, folks, you know what? Suddenly I'm tempted to make a weird prediction. What do you bet that some leftist in California, probably right there in Hollywood, will announce within the next few weeks that since California hasn't been destroyed by the Almighty God in heaven in wrath, assuming at least the big one hadn't taken it out by then, after a series of slaps in his face like this... Well, that proves he must not exist, at least to their satisfaction. 
The legislative package also includes a controversial bill that critics have warned could be interpreted as decriminalizing infanticide, i.e. the right to abort an unborn child right up to the moment of birth. And one way or another, maybe even thereafter. And they noted perhaps the most well-known abomination signed as part of Newsom's gruesome abortion package was what's called AB 223, dubbed the infanticide bill by critics which could not only legalize infanticide by prohibiting the investigation or prosecution of any woman or abortionist for what are called pregnancy outcomes, including but not limited to abortion, miscarriage, or perinatal deaths, which might even include up to two years after the, uh, well, not-yet-aborted baby was born. Next, here's one you really ought to hear. As Paul Joseph Watson puts it, she just came out and admitted it. Yep, the U.N. not only public-private partners with Gulag so that we get you the propaganda you're allowed to hear, but we own the science, too. It's bought and paid for. Well, she just came out and admitted it. A United Nations official told the World Economic Forum, yes, that's the Dr. Strangelove group, that the UN works directly with Google to rig the Google search engine to censor any and all skepticism or dissent against the climate change narrative. Don't believe me? This is UN Undersecretary for Global Communications, Melissa Ruth Fleming. You know, we partnered with Google, for example. If you Google climate change... You will, at the top of your search, you will get all kinds of UN resources. That means propaganda. We started this partnership when we were shocked to see that when we Googled climate change, we were getting incredibly distorted uh, information right at the top. Translation, we were shocked that anyone was allowed to challenge our monopoly on information. So we're becoming much more proactive. Um, You know, we own the science and we think that the world you know, should know it, and and the platforms themselves also do. Yep, we own the science. It's bought and paid for. The platforms know that. They're bought and paid for, too, and they're not going to let you say anything that's contrary to what we define as the science. And by the way, I see that that terminology bugs Paul Joseph Watson, too. Here's how he put it. Wait, what did she say? We own the science. You own the science? We own the science. What? How can you own science? Science is supposed to be forever evolving based on new information. Is this what they told Galileo when he observed that the planets were round? No, they're not. We own the science. We own the science. Can you trademark science? By own the science, she actually means we've rigged reality and censored opposing views to impose a monopoly on truth. And what's the truth? Anything they say it is because they own the science. We own the science. A science that's beyond doubt, beyond question, because they've stopped anyone from being able to question it. Trust the science, or else. We're seeing the or else, folks, and a lot of people are going to freeze, and many that don't freeze will no doubt starve this winter as a result. Let's follow that up with an economic meltdown story closer to home from oilprice.com, which says that manufacturing growth in the United States... I think I probably better put that one in quotes, slowed in September to its lowest rate since the pandemic recovery started. Well, some of us would say the dead cat bounce. Anyway, it's called another sign that the U.S. economy is cooling, to put it mildly, amid aggressive interest rate hikes by the unconstitutional Federal Reserve. And if this trend continues over coming months, says the piece, that would mean a recession is coming to the United States. Could be mild, could be short, might not have a significant impact on oil demand. But on the other hand, uh, hey, at this point, do you believe them, folks? 
Saudi Aramco's chief executive Ayman Nasser said earlier this week that the oil market, though, is focused on fears of a recession and that the market is thus currently ignoring the very low global spare capacity and the fact that producers will struggle to have any supply once economies or if economies recover. But the question remains, will economies in the world, including the United States, see a harder landing than the Fed is currently willing to admit? From there, let's move to communist China, because a bit like communist California, it offers a preview of what Big Brother and the elites have planned. First, the conservative insider reports that in the 100 days leading up to the annual meeting of the Communist Chinese Party, authorities arrested over 1.4 million Chinese residents that they believe were criminals who threatened public security. And if that sounds familiar, folks, yeah, you probably should. On September 27th, the Ministry of Public Security noted they resolved over 640,000 criminal cases stemming from those arrests. They also found 7,400 plus spots they want to rectify public order in as well. And all in all, says the story, the security campaign claimed that they completed their goal of, quote, effectively punishing crimes and stabilizing people's minds. However, it does seem many of those arrested were actually just everyday citizens of communist China who uh, dared to petition the government. Does that sound familiar too? Maybe practice Christianity or fought for civil rights. So rather than actually targeting violent people, the CCP chose to silence those who spoke out against it. Call it a word of the wise. This next story comes from the same Orwellian state, different source. In this case, it's the Daily Mail, which says guards in hazmat gear were seen pointing machine guns at frightened Chinese families trapped inside an airport after that facility was placed on lockdown following a spike, 61 of them to be precise, of new COVID infections. Video shows the officers armed with guns and shields pushing back the crowds of people who were forced to stay inside the Zhishuangbana airport in Yunnan on Wednesday. Angry, frightened passengers were crying and screaming, are you going to kill us all at the guards after they were forcibly locked inside the terminal? And yes, the lockdown came after 61 new coronavirus infections were reported in the province earlier in the week. There were lots of other crackdowns in the region as travel ground to a halt. All outbound trains and buses were suspended until further notice. And I got to say it, what do you bet the California CCP has taken notes? On another front, the fallout from the Biden blunders continue. In this case, so far at least, it's non-nuclear. Let's start there with a comment or two from Rabobank's Michael Every, who noted that yesterday was all about oil, geopolitics, and geostrategic errors, and in the background, domestic politics, accepting past errors, or not, as the case may be, and maybe trying to make amends for them. Ironically, it all happened on Yom Kippur, on the rabbinic calendar. And the key event, as we talked about here, was that OPEC Plus lined up with Russia to slash output by 2 million barrels a day from November through 2023, which, of course, pushed energy and gasoline prices up and staged a slew of calls for oil again to top 100 bucks a barrel in the near future. That was as U.S. gasoline inventory data dropped 4.7 million barrels to the lowest level since November of 2014, and that is despite the apparent destruction of demand. The White House, or what now passes for it, though, was furious. The official statement said that the marionette-in-chief was, quote, disappointed by the short-sighted decision, unquote, to cut production. The White House official spokeslayer accused OPEC Plus of, say it with me, folks, aligning with Russia. They also called it a hostile act. But, says Michael Every, Saudi Arabia's message to the senile one couldn't have been more blunt. The near-term policy responses, he noted, and uh, this, of course, is probably what you would have expected, are to double down on what's not working. 
First, another 10 million barrels will be released from the declining Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It occurred to me this morning, folks, that it's no longer being used for strategic purposes. It's more like a political petroleum reserve, or PPR. And it would seem that the goal there is to make sure that it's empty before it's actually needed for a geopolitical emergency, of which there is certainly no shortage of candidates on the horizon. The people riding the Biden Fuhrer's Q cars also said that they were going to, quote, explore any additional responsible actions. Well, that would be a first to continue increasing domestic production in the immediate term. And you'll note they don't talk about reopening pipelines that the Biden Fuhrer started shutting down on day one. Remember, folks, the goal is to shut oil and gas production down, not make more available. A subsequent Daily Mail headline said that the U.S. oil industry mocked the Biden fear after those OPEC production cuts were announced. Energy groups say the administration now has no choice but to come crawling back to domestic producers. Quote, the White House has one option left, tweeted the U.S. Oil and Gas Association on Wednesday. One option left, and it's the one option they should have never turned away from in the first place. The U.S.-based oil and gas industry. Well, it would seem not so fast. What did happen, as Zero Hedge notes, is that having been shunned by the Saudis, yes, those people who are now, quote, colluding with Russia to hurt low-income countries, like the U.S., I guess, Biden has decided that rather than dealing with American companies, he'll go right to another dictator. After the Wall Street Journal reported Wednesday, the regime proposed a deal that will ease sanctions on Venezuela and allow Chevron to pump oil in the country after OPEC Plus unveiled its largest production cut since the pandemic. They're also going to free up a few hundred million fiat bucks of Venezuelan state funds frozen in American banks. (laughs) Can you say quid pro quo? Gee, why am I suddenly remembering this? Back before he went completely senile, obviously. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a <laughs> Got fired. Yeah, if arm twisting doesn't work, maybe a billion bucks might. But Zero Hedge puts it this way. Simply put, the fact that the Biden regime is going cap in hand to Venezuela to offer them the deal to increase crude production, despite having called Maduro a narco-terrorist, this confirms the message that Saudi Arabia was implicitly sending with yesterday's OPEC Plus decision that they're the boss now when it comes to the world's most prized commodity. And here's a tweet that sums it all up. Basically, Biden is now saying that domestic producers are more evil than Venezuela's Nicolas Maduro, unquote. Or maybe, folks, it's just clear who all serving the same master the regime is. Let's not continue that theme for another couple of stories. Judicial Watch has a new press release out. They've released bombshell documents exposing the deep state's involvement with Big Brother's captive media in what's called the biggest propaganda campaign in history, according to Leo Holman's coverage. It seems they notice if the entire entertainment industry was an agent for the government. And yeah, it begins if you felt pressure, and you were supposed to, to take the poison poke, get vaccinated, and now regret it, don't feel bad. Well, you might feel dead, but... Don't feel too bad. They pushed it on you. If you never saw the need to get vaccinated, or if you, like myself, says the author, felt an overwhelming sense that you'd never get vaccinated no matter what, no matter what so-called incentive or high-pressure tactic was rolled out by the globalist predators, well, congratulate yourself, because now, thanks to reams of new information obtained by Judicial Watch, we know that those who resisted the vax resisted the biggest, most expensive, most comprehensive global propaganda campaign in world history. I can't even imagine, says the author, what would come close in terms of the scope of this operation. It was truly a technocratic full-court press. 
On October 4th, Judicial Watch announced in their press release that it had received 249 pages of records from the U.S. Department of Health, SICK, and Human Services detailing their extensive media plans for a propaganda blitz to push the COVID-1984 Cyclone B, not vaccine. These records were finally received in response to an August 2021 FOIA lawsuit filed after HHS failed to respond to an April 19, 2021 request for records related to the Biden HHS, quote, COVID-19 Community Core and Trusted Messenger Program. Judicial Watch had asked for all records pertaining to the application process. All organizations asked to be chosen to participate, all grants, and all communications of representatives of HHS regarding the program. And what they uncovered was astonishing. Said JW President Tom Fitton, these records show a disturbing and massive campaign by the Biden administration, sick, to propagandize and politicize the controversial COVID vaccine. It seems as if the entire entertainment industry was an agent for the government. And among other things, the records document a vaccine engagement package to all entertainment talent and management agencies. It also went to all media companies and show producers. There were outreach efforts to major cultural event producers. There was something called WCDT, We Can Do This. And, of course, the infamous late-night host vaccination video with the alleged POTUS. And there's lots and lots more detail in here, folks, of specifics and individuals including the cover-up of everything from the development of the bioweapon to the destruction of any alternatives that might prevent the emergency use authorization declaration. Think ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, among others. And there's all kinds of public-private partnership operations between sports leagues and media networks like NFL, NASCAR, Major League Baseball, CMA, to request that they create content and work with their talent, send vaccination information to ticket holders and even partnering with the pedophiles at Disneyland. Just a summary of the depth of deception goes on for several pages here, actually. I guess with that on the table, this next one shouldn't surprise us in the least. Courtesy of Natural News, a renowned German economist has warned that the globalist WEF, or World Economic Forum, is now set to implement, I hope you're sitting down, a socialist credit system under the guise of a humanitarian act. Yeah, sure. This, he added, will bring forward the New World Order with the population under its full control. During an interview with the German alternative TV station Auf One, economist Ernst Wolf remarked that the WEF's motto this fall is, quote, a frontal attack on the middle class. He told the host that the global elite plans to make giant corporations and states swallow the current price increases. Citizens will suffer, and of course the middle class, what's left of it, is intended to bear most of the burden, leading to, inevitably, escalation and panic. Because, quote, in the end, citizens are supposed to beg for a new monetary system and a digital basic income, digital central bank money, and a social credit system, he said. They even want to sell this to us as a humanitarian act in the end. And the grand finale, or maybe the interlude on the way to the Great Reset, is expected to happen in the fall, he said. One thing is certain, the Great Reset will be handled brutally, and all people who have created or saved anything will now be in dire straits, unquote. And most of the rest of this, folks, you've not only seen coming, but if you've read the book, you know at least the parameters of how it's intended to play out. 
It'll involve the usual digital tracking, socialist credit systems, and universal surveillance schemes. People will probably end up being supplied with a wallet, which might have, oh, a thousand or two thousand, or maybe by then it'll be a hundred million on a weekly basis, digitally connected to the central banksters. However, that central bank will have the power to individually adapt taxation, individual interest rates, and instant penalization charges. You could even be cut off from cash flows, especially, you can guess, politically incorrect purchases that won't be allowed. And, of course, money will have an expiration date as well. While we're at it, here's another one courtesy of J.D. Hayes at Natural News. And it's a warning about just what kind of people we're dealing with here. Yes, it says leftists really do want conservatives to die. The story is about a former nurse for Britain's national health sick system, their socialized medical scheme, who in a video interview said what they're really thinking out loud. People who vote for conservatives don't deserve to be resuscitated by the NHS. <laughs> and this is almost funny if you think about it. She left the NHS because the job became too much for her. She said, quote, you're squeezed to a point where you cannot treat people the way you want to treat them. You know, these are the people pushing the poison poke, too, right? And we'll be right back. Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. I'm your host, Mark Call, and I'll admit up front in this one, if you really examine the situation, and certainly most listening here have been, it's extremely dark. So let's kick this one off with a couple of stories to set the stage and then go into more detail, particularly when it comes to the things that really tell the story. First, from the Daily Mail out of the UK, the White House says, oh, poor us. It's clear that OPEC is now aligned with Russia, Russia, Russia. Putin, in other words. And who could have imagined such a thing? After Saudi Arabia dared to ignore the pleas of the puppet in chief and instead cut their oil production by two million barrels per day. And gas prices are now set to Soar once again. So you could call it either a massive mistake and a miscalculation by the Biden regime or mission accomplished because the real goal, folks, is to destroy the economy of the United States and especially the energy economy. And so much the better if Americans can't afford gas or heat. Says the Daily Mail, this cut is OPEC's largest since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, and it could help Russia keep financing their invasion of Ukraine. And I'll filter out some of the Biden regime propaganda and crap that they throw in here. Anyway, this is despite the West's efforts to cut oil and gas as a source of revenue for Putin's war machine. Good grief. What a bunch of blithering idiots. The White House, though, is, quote, having a spasm and panicking over the potential outcome of the OPEC decision, said an unnamed regime official to the criminally negligent network. Prices at the pump have already jumped 60 cents per gallon, though in some parts of the U.S. They're well over six bucks a gallon in California. And guess what, folks? That's just the beginning, or maybe the middle of the beginning. 
On then to another aspect of the worldwide economic meltdown, obviously already in progress, writes Michael Snyder at the Economic Collapse blog, in less than one year, 46 trillion, that's with a T, dollars worth of, well, at least paper financial wealth has been wiped out. So if that's not a crash, yes, how would you define one? <laughs> Maybe some of us would say it's not really a crash until people are upset enough to get rid of the regime in Washington. Anyway, since last November, he writes, stocks and bonds have been plunging globally. Where there's a good day, like maybe we saw on Monday, well, that might fool us into thinking everything's going to be okay. But in order to understand what's really going on, it's time to step back, take a look at the bigger picture. And when we do that, it becomes exceedingly clear we're in the midst of an historic worldwide market crash. Because according to Bank of America, a whopping $46.1 trillion bucks of so-called financial wealth has already been wiped out since November 2021. The massive drawdown has led to forced liquidations on Wall Street, said the bank's chief investment strategist, Michael Hartnett, in a note on Friday, highlighting the recent break below the 2018 support level in the New York Stock Exchange Composite Index. And the carnage in the global bond market is among the worst in history. Analysts at the Bank of America liken it to going cold turkey and blame it for causing the third great bond bear market saying that about 20% plus losses suffered by government debt investors over the last year are now on a par with World War One and two years of 1920 and 49, and of course, the Great Depression route in 1931. Oh yeah, just to put that $46 trillion fiat buck number in perspective, the total amount of goods and services produced in the United States last year was just about $23 trillion. So this is roughly twice the entire U.S. GDP for a full year. And you'd have thought maybe the Fed would have figured that out. <laughs> Not like we haven't been warning for literally years at this point, folks. There really is a limit to how long you can kick the can, even if people have been dumbed down cataclysmically beforehand. It was inevitable, it was planned, and now they've pulled the pin. Snyder has a lot more to say, including the fact that market crashes really do take a long time to play out fully. In other words, he too agrees this is only the beginning. And just as importantly, folks, when economies collapse, evil nations, and that's what we have nowadays, tend to go to war. And the worse the crash, the bigger the war. You can figure out what that means. And that's, in fact, where we're going to go next, before we do a bit more on the fall of the money front. This is a piece from Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury under the Ronald Reagan administration, who warns in Lou Rockwell's headline that the entire world is threatened, and that's maybe even putting it mildly, by the total ignorance of American governing elites. He begins by saying, we've approached that fateful moment in world history where things are coming apart at the seams, not because of non-existent man-made global warming, the COVID pandemic, overpopulation, white racism, or any of the other so-called crises that the ignorant media hypes to distraction, but instead because we face nuclear war originating in the total stupidity of Western elites. And Harry proceeds to back that statement up. David Johnson, he notes, publishes a daily Russian list, a collection of commentary by various prostitutes and alleged Russian experts. I peruse these scribblings, says Dr. Roberts, and I seldom encounter anything even the least bit intelligent. Because in the U.S. and its European puppets, Russian analysis, he puts it in quotes appropriately, consists of Russophobic rants. Russia this, Russia that, you get the picture. These ignorant rants have created a frame of mind among Western decision makers, or what now passes for it, 
that's literally unreal and is deceiving Washington policymakers into fatal mistakes, he writes. I read that Russia has been defeated in the Ukraine, or will be. I read that four-star General Betrayus, and I think that's the proper way to pronounce it, folks, one of the most stupid of Washington's political generals, has declared that Putin is desperate. By the way, I listened to this speech. The man is, in fact, a blithering idiot. And it's an irreversible situation, and that Ukraine will become a NATO member after their glorious victory over Russia. I sit and ponder, says Dr. Roberts, how a person this utterly stupid could ever get to be a four-star U.S. general. God help us. And here he notes that back in the days of the Cold War, in which I was involved, we listened to each other and debated who was responsible for the Cold War. The Committee on the Present Danger, of which I was a member, also listened to the Soviets, as well as the American left, who thought that the conflict existed in order to serve the interests of the budgets and power of the U.S. military, security, industrial complex. But never were Soviet leaders insulted and ignored in the manner that Putin has been. President Reagan, he writes, told the contingent that accompanied him to Reykjavik for his meeting with Gorbachev that anyone who took a rude or dismissive attitude towards the Soviet delegation would be fired on the spot. Imagine that. In those long-ago civilized days, he continues, the U.S. government took no risks that could result in a nuclear exchange with the Soviet Union. But in the 21st century, the U.S. government's rude dismissals of Russian concerns is unprecedented. Washington, by overthrowing the Ukraine government, installing its puppet, and forcing a war there, is vastly exaggerating its own war-fighting capacity. What explains the lack, he asks, of Washington's caution? The answer? The Western media has been reduced to a compliant propaganda ministry. Washington's decision-makers have no reliable information. And the prostitutes, Western politicians and so-called Russian experts, have created a make-believe world for decision-makers that causes them to think they still control the situation although nothing could be further from the truth. So, he writes, and this is key, folks, we have a situation that is comprised of arrogant Americans overflowing with hegemonic hubris, European puppets who obey instructions from Washington, and a Russian government that's forced to defend itself and Russian peoples, all of which means it's an explosive situation, especially, he says, as Putin has been slow to take a firm stand. And he's right. Putin has showed patience that probably surprises anybody who's been paying attention. Putin's deference, continues Dr. Roberts, to international law means nothing to the West, for whom international law is nothing but a weapon to be used against those who don't comply with the lawlessness that they're pushing. Putin's deference to international law, he says, is read by Washington as irresolution to really defend Russian interests. So the consequences will be, as he notes, he's always said, that Washington misreads the situation and crosses too many Russian red lines. At which point we get fire and brimstone. And my concern, he writes, is that we are very close to that point. Putin's recent public statements and his address to the Russian people clearly show that Russia's leadership has finally and reluctantly lost all belief in being able to reach accommodation with the West. It's the total failure of Western diplomacy that has now greased the skids for war, says Dr. Roberts. The Kremlin doesn't want war, but Washington has convinced them that it's not possible to negotiate away from it. The unreasonableness of the West in refusing a mutual security agreement with Moscow, the complete involvement of the West into what the Kremlin regarded as a police action in the Donbass region, and now Washington's sabotage, and everybody in the world except CNN and the leftist press seems to figure that out, of both Nord Stream pipelines, together with incessant threats of dealing Russia devastating blows, has resulted in the inevitable. Moscow is preparing for war. 
Concludes Dr. Roberts, NATO is an insignificant military force, and the dumbed-down, literally, LGBTQ-pushing West, he doesn't put all that in there, but I think it's appropriate to point out, has zero chance of prevailing against Russia in a conventional war. So the only way Washington can avoid humiliating defeat is by going nuclear. And one would think the Kremlin knows that, and they won't wait in order to initiate a first strike. The complete and total failure of Washington, says Roberts, to create an ally and business partner out of a willing Russia is the worst diplomatic failure in world history. And then he goes through the litany of culprits, the neoconservatives who demanded hegemony, the U.S. military-industrial complex that demanded Russia to be an enemy to justify its power, its budget, the criminally evil and inept State Department, which needed a Russian threat to Europe in order to prevent normal relationships between Europe and Russia loosening Washington's hold on its European puppets. And finally, an American president who tried to normalize relations with Russia and, of course, was cheated duped, coerced, and uh, humiliated, I guess you could say, right out of office. When that coup came to a head, your host has to add here, he caved, backed down and backed out, and we've seen what happened since. All of these selfish material interests, without an honest media to even expose or check them, have opened the door to World War III, notes Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, a war that will forever remove the West as a force in history. From there, let's do a deeper dive into the great driver for World War. And, of course, that means follow the money. This one comes from Michael Avery at Rabobank, who is, in fact, left-leaning and not an Austrian, but certainly does have a wide following and a pretty good head on his shoulders anyway. The U.N. says his piece, courtesy of Zero Hedge and others, demands that all central banksters stop their rate hikes and instead switch to price controls. Oh, yeah, you know it. That's the typical communist solution. If there's not enough of something, make sure there'll be even less. And control what you've got so that the right people get first shot at it. And here he begins with an analogy. New week, new month, new quarter, new brains, new trades, new hope, or new balls, please, as they say at Wimbledon. I don't have the physical energy, he writes, to play tennis with markets on an every-other-day basis, sending a detailed volley back at those who think the Fed is about to pivot because of one bad data point. That doesn't mean, though, that the U.K. government can't. They just did exactly that on tax cuts. All I can say is reread what I've been saying all year about this being about more than just data. And I'm told every gold bug, kryptonite, bond, bubble boy, equity enthusiast, derivative devil, property shield, and commodity compare is sitting on the sidelines, bleeding out, waiting for the Fed to pivot in order to go all in on the next inflationary everything asset bubble. But what interests me today, at least enough to cover it, he writes, is number one, UNCTAD, the UN agency dealing with global trade, which is now demanding that all, and he puts it with emphasis here, central banks stop their rate hikes and instead switch to, what else, the communists love them, price controls. They argue, quote, policymakers appear to be hoping that a sharp, sharp monetary shock along the lines, if not of the same magnitude as that pursued under Paul Volcker, will be sufficient to anchor inflationary expectations without triggering recession. What a crock. Back to the quote. Sifting through the economic entrails of a bygone era is unlikely, however, to provide the forward guidance needed for a softer landing, given the deep structural and behavioral changes that have taken place in many economies, particularly those related to financialization, market concentration, and labor's bargaining power. Says Michael Every, I'm not playing tennis with them either, but note the radicalism, and he's right, 
Indeed, their latest report also argues that supply chain disruptions and labor shortages regularly appropriate industrial policies to increase the supply of key items in the medium term. In other words, yeah, we need a little bit more central command controlled economy here. This must be accompanied by sustained global policy coordination and liquidity support to help countries manage and fund these changes. Oh yeah, workers of the world unite. This is communist drivel if there ever was. So, says Michael Every, and remember folks, he actually tends to lean left anyway. This means industrial policy and Fed swap lines expect both dead ahead. They also asked, why haven't we regulated shadow banking and why do we allow speculators in global commodity markets who have nothing to do with the underlying trade? On the latter, they note, market surveillance authorities could be mandated to intervene directly in exchange trading on an occasional basis or by buying or selling derivative contracts with a view to averting price collapses or deflating price bubbles. Oh, yeah, folks, that'll fix it. It's not bad enough that we have the level of control already based on a dishonest system of global fiat. What we need is more of the same, the hair of the dog, more market manipulation, more a big brother who knows what's best and less of uh, anything even remotely resembling free markets. Says every, I expect nothing but that ahead and geopolitically driven to boot. And you see what I mean? He's probably absolutely right. Number two on his list I'll read here, almost without comment, but I made a little little bit of my derision slip through in my voice, a New York Times op-ed entitled, A U.S. Ships Act, kind of like the bogus Chips Act, if you remember not long ago, would break China's control of the seas. Can we, in fact, out-commie the CCP? Oh, only time will tell. And finally, number three, courtesy of the far-left Financial Times in which an article says investors are learning to love industry again, noting that in deglobalizing the world, there's a structural boom in parts of U.S. manufacturing led by what else? Federal efforts to domesticize supply chains via legislation. Oh, yeah, and that's going to work real well in a world where energy is simply being, well, legislated and politically correctified right out of existence. Finally, and pretty much on the same theme, this one from Matthew Pippenberg via Gold Switzerland, who writes about the Fed's strong dollar policy, calling it, well, what it is, a recipe for systemic implosion. And you can probably guess that just could lead to World War if we last that long. From Main Street, USA, to the village corners, to the central banksters of Europe, he says, Japan and elsewhere, the Fed's strong U.S. dollar policy is backfiring big time. Hey, just ask the Brits. Having spent years creating the inflation... From QE1 to unlimited QE, repo bailouts, massive money supply expansion, and an historic wealth transfer from an inflated, Fed-driven stock market. Well, the Fed will be cleaning up its own inflation mess on the backs of the U.S. working class and its other global, quote-unquote, allies, while blaming the CPI inflation on who else? Putin! And, of course, the COVID pandemic. Oh, yeah, and non-existent man-made global warming. Well, no, wait, got to call it climate change nowadays. The other's been debunked. How's all of that for rig to fail? But it's just the beginning, he says, and it's not just about the USA. By raising rates into what everyone knows, except the policymakers, is a recession, or worse, Powell, who delusionally pretends to be Volcker reborn, wants to solve the inflation he helped create by engineering a demand-crippling recession that he thinks he could control, but he can't, and of course, we know he won't. 
And this will be the mother of all recessions, as there is an historic and concomitant debt bubble, and hence currency crisis, in every corner of the globe. And in parentheses, he notes that's 300 plus trillion fiat bucks, as well as every corner of the nation, where it's only 90 plus trillion fiat bucks, from the toxic corporate bond market and overstrapped households to a grotesquely bloated 30 trillion plus government debt market. So let's keep it all horribly simple. If debt is the everywhere driver of the economy and markets, then any significant increase in the costs of that debt will destroy every corner of that economy and those markets, from zombie enterprises to negative-yielding U.S. treasuries. Negative yields, of course, folks, means that treasuries don't pay anywhere close to the real rate of inflation. So you're losing money like sand ticking out of an hourglass every second. And Powell's hawkish stance will lead to anything but a contained recession (laughs) or a soft landing, which the Fed will be no less effective containing than they were in containing their so-called transitory inflation. Remember how well that worked out? Rising rates will cripple nearly every asset but the artificially inflated U.S. dollar until all savings are gone, most citizens are handout dependent, and most markets and currencies are literally on their knees. And at that point, Uncle Sam will either default on the IOUs, a.k.a. Treasury bonds, which no one will by then want, and pretty much anybody with half a brain doesn't want them now, or the Fed will pivot to more mouse-click money to buy and support his debt addiction, following the recent example of the UK. And since the U.S. is just too plain arrogant to fail, default, the Fed's only stupid choice left among a long list and history of stupid will be a gold-boosting QE pivot. When? Well, inevitably, but again, the question remains, when? The answer seems to be after the pain, politics, and panics have reached levels that the U.S. and global economy and markets haven't seen since the great socialist FDR era known as the New Deal. And at that point, he says, Powell will throw in the towel and pivot. In the interim, the U.S., as well as global middle class, can thank Greenspan, Bernanke, Yellen, and Powell for all the pain still ahead. As this is the direct, and he says, I mean it, direct result of years of unprecedented drunken free money and bloated debt, the hangover for which is going to be a real record breaker. Investors, suggest Pippenberg, are forgetting that not only is the hawkish Powell raising rates into a debt bubble, he's slowly tightening the Fed's balance sheet, which just means dumping more treasury supply into a demandless sovereign bond market. And this supply stream means bonds will fall even further, and hence their yields, and along with them, interest rates will keep rising, thereby adding massive insult to an already fatally injured credit and debt market which causes him to suggest that when the U.S. Treasury start to tank in mass, Powell's fantasy of being the next Volcker will end, and the pivot towards money printing to infinity will be fast and furious, and that in turn will send precious metals to record highs. But until then, better buckle up. For now, though, Powell's plan, such as it is, is to let rates, yields, and hence the dollar rise in the hopes that the greenback will be the only place left for global investors or suckers to hide, which is indeed, at least so far, where they're beginning to hide. 
But it's only a matter of time, he suggests, before foreign investors, nostalgic for the days of former U.S. glory, realize that such glory is long gone. And the only way U.S. Treasuries will ever be truly risk-free return is if the Fed prints more debased money to buy them, because they're the only ones that are going to want them at that point. And that is not Powell's current practice. In essence, then, foreigners aren't hiding in risk-free returns, but drowning in return-free risk, as even 3 to 4% yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury represents a negative 5 or more percent return when adjusted for inflation, especially real inflation, despite it being underreported by around half. Remember, he says, when I said that the Fed has no good options left, I meant it. It's either tighten and risk systemic collapse or ease and destroy the currency. Pick your poison. And by the way, folks, this is why your host has literally for years now said the end of the U.S. fiat dollar will be fire or ice. Or maybe a combination of, uh, well, what Exodus talked about, hailstones in the middle of a firestorm. In other words, at some point, Americans, as well as the rest of the world, will realize that the U.S. is not what she used to be back when she was a free country with a constitution and rule of law, your host notes, and neither are her IOUs. For the first time in almost a century, faith in Uncle Sam will reach a nadir and precious metals, their apex. But he notes, as I've also written, faith is a hard financial indicator to time. This is not gold bug posturing, he notes, but hard math and political reality colliding with the lessons of current and past history. For an example, take a look at the pathetic one out of Japan. The Fed's rate hikes have pushed Tokyo and its yen to its knees. The Bank of Japan, unlike the controllers of the world reserve currency, i.e. those guys at the Eccles building, flatly cannot afford to raise rates and pay its JGB IOUs at the same time. Net result, the Bank of Japan is printing yen like gangbusters and keeping inflation deliberately above interest rates. In other words, they're pushing negative rates, just like the Fed is doing. And yet, he says, even in this openly negative real yield nightmare, the Japanese 10-year didn't trade for two days. Meanwhile, as the yen dropped to 50-year lows, Japan was forced for the first time in nearly three decades to prop up its currency by making a direct intervention in the foreign exchange markets, which entails selling a batch of the U.S. Treasuries it had on reserve, which explains why the TLT, that's the U.S. Treasury ETF, lost 3% on the very same day. Meanwhile, U.S. junk bonds, as measured by the LQD ETF, fell to lows not seen since the dreaded COVID-1984 pandemic lows. Oh, yeah, and let's not forget that tanking junk bonds, he notes, are typically leading indicators for tanking equity markets. And then, of course, there's the EU. Japan won't be the last nation to reach such desperate levels. And as more U.S. Treasuries get dumped and sold, debt costs in the U.S. will only get more, not less painful, regardless of what the Wizard of Powell does from D.C. Oz. And for an example there, just ask the Bank of England and its recent headline-making pivot to more QE. Foreigners, notes Matthew Pippenberg, own over 18 trillion worth of U.S. dollar assets, including bonds, real estate, and fiat bucks. Once the distressed selling starts, and it goes from slow to rapid very quickly, so will pain levels for Americans. Once allies are feeling the pain, too. Germany, for example, which just lost its energy supply, is seeing yields on its two-year bonds above 2% for the first time since 2008, and they can't afford it. But what are EU nations going to be able to do? After all, they're caught literally between a rock and a frozen hard place. And be ready for it, because it just gets uglier from here. <laughs> 